Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Hello, good morning. Andre here. Welcome to our church. I'm the lead pastor of the city. Very good morning to you. If this is your first time tuning into our service, I'd like to welcome you. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, so appreciative of our team for how diligent they are and how, uh, you know, how, how loving they are to our, to our community, going the extra mile to serve our church, our community well in this time. Thanks so much, worship team and Tim, uh, for leading us in this time. Well, uh, let us begin with a word of prayer before I get into all that I have uh, for you uh, today. You know, it's been some time since I have been on the pulpit. As always, you know, real privileged and excited uh, to bring you God's Word uh, in this time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment uh, that we are able to gather in such a manner, be it, uh, albeit a bit unconventional and not the usual way or preferred way of gathering together. But God, we thank you that through your Spirit, through your words, through your Holy Presence, we are united. We are together in this moment even though we are physically apart we are united together through your spirit so god we ask for your spirit your presence to fill every room right now fill our homes fill our bedrooms wherever we're at wherever we're watching this service spirit of god come come in power come in your love let us feel your tangible presence even this day and God, we ask that even as we go into what we're about to in this, in this moment, Lord, that you illuminate this time. Bring forth your truth. Bring forth your words. God, I pray that it's not by my words or by my plans that, that people are, are convinced, but God, it's by your spirit and your presence that our lives are changed. God, we thank you for this time. We pray that you'll bless it. Lead this time. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Now, what I have in mind to do today is not so much a teaching. Usually with this time uh, in the service, we were devoted to exploring the scriptures together and learning from God's word together. But today I feel uh, led to just, uh, you know, give you an update about the state of the church, where we are at, uh, what's been happening in, in the life of our church, what's been happening in our community and uh, where uh, we are going together as a church. And so today, you know, I'm just going to bring you some updates, uh, share stuff that God's been placing in my heart and we're going to spend some time praying together. Now, first off, this is, if you can imagine, week 26 of our online gathering experience. This mode, this medium of meeting together, we've done this kind of service format for 26 weeks. And it feels both fast, uh, this time that we're living in, it feels both fast and slow at the same time. Time seems to move by, uh, move on quickly and slowly both at the same time. If you can imagine, our staff team have already begun conversing and planning for Christmas, the end of the year. Time seems to pass by so quickly, but at the same time, we feel a kind of fatigue and weariness in our hearts. We're asking this question, how long more, how long more until we come back together uh, in this hall? And it feels both fast and slow. It feels both quick and, and weary and dreary both at the same time. Now, 
This fatigue that I'm talking about, this weariness, is almost palpable in the air around us. Before I uh, recorded this summer, I took the opportunity to walk around the business district, walk around our city. And you know, I saw with my eyes businesses closing down, restaurants shutting down, and you can feel a kind of palpable despair and hopelessness and fatigue that's in the air. And I believe many of you feel some measure of that kind of fatigue where this the end point of this season this physical distancing thing it seems to stretch on further and further and further into the unknown we are weary and tired in many ways now in in this time you know the staff uh has you know put out all stops you know i have tried our utmost to serve you well in this time to fight for community to maintain unity but to also thrive to give us a vision to thrive in this time and we do so through various initiatives from our sermon series to the daily podcast to a rule of life that we've called our community to adopt together to equipping like the bible uh, workshop and and bunch of different equipping initiatives all this is aimed towards our community maintaining unity and thriving together in this time. And it's crucial in this time, even as we have experienced a prolonged distancing from one another, to take every opportunity we can to be with one another in smaller ways. And that's why we advocate for our communities to come together in smaller groups, for our life groups to meet in perhaps groups of five, for you to consider opening your home to host watch parties because we are all, as human beings, embodied create creatures created to uh, be with one another, to experience one another in the flesh. You know, I think of the words of John when he writes this in Second John that I long to see you face to face. I have so many things I want to write to you, but I long to see you and converse with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. And I think that is what happens when we come together. Those Zoom and those Google Meets are great resource that we can tap on that nothing beats coming together physically to be in the flesh for one another and so i want to encourage you to practice embodied community when you have the option to do so now you know speaking about the daily the daily you know the team that has put the daily together for you Axel, pastor janice and i we had in mind that we'll do maybe 50 or like 60 episodes max uh, and then the daily will run its course and we would be able to come back together to meet physically again uh, we thought that the church would be reopened by july and august uh, but you know we haven't been able to do so now some of you might be wondering why hasn't the church uh, reopened yet you know, in light of uh, various uh, measures that have since been lifted technically we are able to meet physically albeit in smaller numbers but we're actually able to come back together in this hall now there are multiple considerations uh, to reopening such as uh, isn't just about the number of people that is permitted but also the capacity of the hall to be able to accommodate uh, proper safe distancing measures you have to consider consider ingress and egress as well how do people actually funnel in and how do people leave, leave and these things are all factored into a safe reopening we also have to consider staff capacity our ability as a staff to maintain both a physical service as well as curate an online gathering experience you also have to consider volunteer fatigue can our volunteers handle the added weight of serving in both arenas you have to also consider kids church is it viable to run kids church 
uh, physically in this location. And you also have to consider limitations on service length as well as activity. We're unable to do certain things in this hall even as we come back together. Service times has to be radically shorter. All these things are in our mind even as we consider reopening. And so I want to assure you that we have in our hearts to reopen. We have in our hearts to come back together as a community. We miss you. We want to be together again. And it's not as though we're holding ourselves back from that, but these are all real considerations that we have to weigh, that we have to uh, deliberate, that we have to dialogue upon, and we do so with your well-being and our church's well-being in mind. Now, even as I speak about all of that, I've been thinking recently, in recent times, what if the goal of our church, of the church in this time, isn't so much to chase after a reopening. Now, please track along with me even as I just, you know, dialogue further. What if the goal of our church, of the church, isn't to chase for a reopening? As important as that is, as much as we love for that to be a reality, what if that isn't the goal we are to chase after? We identified earlier on in this uh, trial that this kind of this trial, this season that we're experiencing together is a kind of crucible moment where the heat is turned up, where we feel pressure mounting on all sides, and where God in His sovereignty and mercy is sifting out all that should be so that He can mold us into all that we can be. And so it's to say that we in some way affirm that the sovereignty of God is at work even in the midst of this trial. It's not saying that God is meticulously sovereign and is infecting people that He wishes, but we're saying that God is able to turn this tragedy into something that satisfies of his glory, his will, his intent, and his purpose. And so with that being said, what if the goal of the church, of our church, isn't so much to chase after a reopening? What if the goal of our church is to learn the lessons that God is trying to teach us through this trial? It's to not waste this trial, but to capture it as a kind of crucible moment, to lean into the voice of God, to lean into the work of the Spirit. What if in our hustle, eagerness, and desire to reopen so that we may re re regain a manner of normalcy, we utterly miss what God is saying and completely move past the point of this trial? What if the goal for our church isn't to reopen quickly and regain normalcy? but to press into what the Spirit is doing and saying. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we are going to keep our doors shut perpetually and Sunday gathering, Sunday service is a thing of the past. I'm saying perhaps this time isn't to be seen as wasted time. Perhaps there are vital lessons to be learned while we are gathering in such a manner. And if that is so, then success in this time would be drastically redefined. It will dramatically impact our prayers and our strategies. We will be asking less the question of when we are reopening and instead asking the question, what are you teaching us, God, through this time of prolonged separation? What are lessons we can learn in this time when we have been forced to adapt? And if I can impress upon you anything today, is that to relish in this period of time as an opportune moment for deep formation, for spiritual growth, for rediscovering God's will and intent. What would we tell our children, our grandchildren about this time? What did you do 
during the lockdown of 2020? What will we tell our children and grandchildren? What did we do? Will we say, I watch, it's okay to not be okay, and episodes of The Tiger King and reruns of Pocho Kang, or will we say we leaned into the work of the Spirit and pursued God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and learned the lessons that He was trying to teach us? What is God teaching you in this time? What is He saying? What is he unearthing? What is he challenging? What is he revealing and sifting out of your life? Idols, deep-seated sin, shaky trust systems, indulgences and dysfunctions. And I hope in your own life, in your own walk with God, that you've been leaning into these questions and allowing the Spirit to do a deep work in you. Now, there's this anticipation we feel in the air of wanting to know what is going to happen next. What does the future hold for us? The media is filled with predictions of what the future holds, what a post-COVID world would look like. How would technology change? How would businesses change? How would our social lives change? What does the future look like? And the question I get often as a pastor, as your pastor, is this. What does the future look like for the church? What does the future look like for the city in this kind of new normal, which is a word or a term I love and hate both at the same time. How do we plan? How do we carry on? How do we do church and be the church in a time like this? And also, what is God trying to teach us and say to us through this trial? I hope to share briefly in this message some of my thoughts and expound on them further in the next couple of weeks. But first off, uh, before I move into that, I'd like to share with you the results of the church bite survey we uh, conducted uh, about a month ago. Now, in the City Pulse survey, we had about 121 respondents to this survey, which is a pretty sizable portion of our church. Of the respondents, approximately 70% of respondents reported that this time has been beneficial to their faith. From feeling their faith and resolve strengthened in the crisis to being able to use the time, the margin, effectively and well to invest into their spiritual life. Now, I am so heartened, I'm so Please, I'm so glad to hear that many of you have found this crucible moment beneficial to your faith. It's so pleasing to hear. And uh, out of that, uh, uh, 121 respondents, 87 of them, 87% have practiced elements of the rule of life. Now, these are 10 curated practices that the pastoral team has for you uh, that is designed for us to track along together and to thrive well in this time. And 87% of the church have adopted all if not certain elements of the rule of life in this time. So, so encouraging to hear. And a sizable population of the church have also made use of resources such as the daily gush lessons, family life conversations to nourish their spiritual lives in this time. Now moving on to some uh, concerning statistics. At the time of a survey, roughly a quarter of respondents had their income adversely impacted as a result of COVID-19. While that isn't a statistic to celebrate, we are thankful that for most of you, you remain unaffected by the economic fallout. And for those of you who are affected, we ask that you will please reach out to us, email us, get in touch with us, get in touch with your life group leader, let your community in on some of the struggles you may be facing. We would love to stand with you and pray for you and support you and help you where possible. 
In this time, we are also seeing issues pertaining to mental health on the rise, and that spills over into all sorts of issues uh, in society, such as family violence. Now, in our community, about 20% of respondents reported some kind of negative impact on their mental well-being, be it an increase in anxiety, feelings of being overwhelmed or being helpless. Aside from that, uh, many of you are grappling with real deep existential questions about your job, life goals, money, and even faith. What does faith look like in this, in, in this time? What is the church? What is the goal of church? What is the purpose of church? Is what we are doing now even to be considered as church? Should I commit time, energy, and effort to this? And these are real deep existential questions that many of you are grappling with and it is legitimate for you to do so. I too wrestle with some of these questions. When polled about our online gathering, about 70% of respondents say that, reg say that they regularly attend our Sunday online gathering. When further polled about the church reopening physical services, 40% said that they would attend at first opportunity, 42% said that they would await further easing of measures, and 18% would await longer or not attend at all. When pulled further, 31% of respondents preferred online gathering indefinitely. That is to say, it is a preferred new normal of church. Uh, it is one uh, that would be virtual, that we would uh, maintain this online gathering experience as an option and some of you would adopt it as your preferred mode of church. Now, these are all of the results and statistics that we've pulled from that survey. Thank you so much for participating with that survey. I'd like to offer a few pastoral responses to our church in light of some of these statistics. The first uh, response I have is this. The need is immense and the staff and pastoral team are limited. We need all hands on deck. We need to exercise continued patience and kindness. Now, it is not... Uh, inconceivable for us to gather and conclude that the road ahead will be tough, that we are perhaps uh, just experiencing the tip of the iceberg, that there is much fallout and challenges that are ahead of us uh, in this time. And I can be honest with you as your pastor and on behalf of the staff team, I can uh, be honest to say that we are in many ways uh, feeling challenged and, and feeling a whole ton of pressure and fatigue uh, as a result of this time. And one of the things that we've concluded is that we are limited. Now, is being limited is not inherently a bad thing, right? You think about Genesis where God created Adam and he said that this creation is very good. And he said this of Adam that it is not good for man to be alone. In God's good and perfect design, he designed Adam with limitations, with needs. And that is what it means to be human. To be human means that we are limited. We have needs. We need other people to come alongside us. And so on behalf of the staff team, the leadership team and the pastoral team, I want to say we need help. We need you to come alongside. The need is immense. People in our community are going through some real struggles. And as a leadership, as your pastor, we are limited. And so I want to call for you to take ownership of our community. What will it look like for our church to rise up in this time, to not look to one or two capable pastors, but as a community, we take responsibility for one another, for one another's spiritual growth and emotional well-being, and we rise up together as a community to pastor one another. What kind of church would that be? 
If you're older, I want to encourage you, take a young adult, take a youth under your wing. Many of them have never experienced this kind of economic downturn in their lifetime and are trying to navigate through the complexities of this time. Encourage you to take them under your wing, to guide them, to lead them, to mentor them, to care for them in this time. Play your part, church. Everyone can play a part. Don't just critique or compare. Contribute. Don't just critique or compare. I'm saying it again. Contribute. Offer your prayers, your encouragement, your skills, your expertise, or at the very least, your time. Next pastoral response I have for you is this. We must discern between the new we are to embrace and the spirit of the age we are to resist. Say that again. We must discern between the new we are to embrace and the spirit of the age we are to resist. Sometime back, we talked about spiritual formation, the work of the church being counter-formational in many ways, meaning it is as though we are... It's not as though we are building from scratch without any resistance, but we are coming against something. We're coming against forces in the world, in culture, against the enemy that seek to conform our desires in a, in a way, in a fashion that is out of sync with God's kingdom. And much of the talk of the town now is this idea of a new normal. Now I have a love-hate relationship with this. I love it because it causes me to rethink, to reevaluate, to revisit what I've been doing for a long time, without any thought or consideration. There's a meme floating around that goes, who led the world in digital transformation and innovation? And it goes, not CEO, not CTO, but COVID. It's true, because of COVID-19, because of this trial, because of this season, many of us are being forced to innovate, to think of new ways uh, to, to keep uh, businesses, to keep uh, uh, what we've always held dear going. And so there's much good that's coming from revisiting and relooking what we have always regarded as normal. And we need that kind of insight. We need that kind of openness to uh, make sense of that time. We need that kind of insight and openness, much like the sons of Issachar, who knew the times and season, who had understanding of the times, who had insight to act, to do uh, what need to be done, who had insight into how things needed to be done. We need that kind of openness in our church today. But at the same time, my pastoral concern is this, that we would be too quick and hasty to toss out much of the rich tradition that we have inherited in pursuit of what is new, shiny, and palatable to most. For example, we are grateful for what technology affords us, the ability to still remain connected in this time. Many are acknowledging that online church will always be a thing, that a church won't uh, retract back, won't move away from digital, won't move away from the virtual experience, that we would in many ways uh, carry on for as long as we can see it being a hybrid kind of church, having both a digital and physical presence. However, we also recognize with technology, with this ease and accessibility that comes with it, also comes with it an inherent value system that is out of sync, that is opposed to what the church ought to be, what uh, the way of God's kingdom ought to be. It's fundamentally opposed to what we are about. Comfort, ease, convenience are values that we love in modern society. But these words are incongruent with what we know the church of the Bible to be. The church all through history is a deeply sacrificial community, far from being comfortable and easy. 
is one of deep sacrifice. And so we need discernment to determine what is innovation that God is bringing to the church. New ways, new ideas to breathe new life into the church. And we also need discernment to discern what are sacred traditions, stakes in the ground, lines in the sand that we are not to cross, that we are to remain faithful and steadfast in. We need discernment. New isn't always God. And old isn't always to be dismissed as dead or passé. Let me say that again. New isn't always God and old isn't always to be dismissed. And over the next couple of weeks, I will make a case for why I believe in the church, for why I believe in the gathering of the saints on Sunday morning, why I believe that we ought to still maintain this regular habit of coming together. Now my third pastoral response is this. God is on the move. He is maturing His church. God is on the move. He is maturing His church. Dickens wrote that it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. And how true is that line today? It's both the best of times and the worst of times. The unprecedented crisis with its pains and inconveniences has always given to us an unprecedented window of opportunity for deep formation and growth. Crises are tough and undoubtedly painful, but they can be an extension of God's grace and mercy toward us. Mark Twain once wrote this, that history never repeats itself, but it rhymes. And all through scripture and church history, we see a kind of common theme, right? There is a kind of major spiritual decline, apathy and moral decay that is observed. And then it breeds a kind of holy discontent among a remnant of people. And then the church is moved to pray and to prepare. And then renewal comes. A spiritual awakening comes. Revival comes into the land. In a way, crisis precedes spiritual renewal. A church historian once wrote this, that awakenings are usually preceded by a time of spiritual depression, apathy and gross sin, in which a majority of nominal Christians are hardly different from the members of secular society and the church seems to be asleep. And it's my belief that this is the hour of preparation for an awakening, for a kind of spiritual renewal to touch churches and by extension to touch our land and our world and our city. God is maturing the church in this time. He is on the move. Crisis precedes renewal. And it's with that that I want to look at a passage of scripture before we close this time together. I believe God is maturing the church. I'd like to take you to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Now Ephesians uh, is a letter written by a church planter by the name of Paul. And Paul writes this letter to a church in the city of Ephesus. Now many will point to this book as ground zero for what we would commonly understand to be a New Testament ecclesiology, which is a fancy way for saying theology of the church. If you read it, you would know that the first three chapters, the first half of the book of Ephesians, is just superb Pauline theology. If you ever read the book of Ephesians, you know that the first three chapters, the first half of the book of Ephesians is just solid Pauline theology. And the second half of the book of Ephesians, from chapter 4 onwards, Paul lays out and paints a stellar vision for the church not just the church in first century Ephesus, but for the global historic church, for our church today. And read Ephesians chapter 4, I believe God is going to stir something within your heart. Even as we wrestle with these existential questions of what the church is or is not to be, or what the role, the purpose of the church 
uh, is to be for this time, for our place on earth. Let's read this chapter together and let the Spirit speak to your heart. Let the words of Paul illuminate fresh understanding in your soul about this church, this body of Christ that we are privileged to be a part of. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4 together. It says this in God's Word. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That first verse, Paul identifies himself as a prisoner for the Lord. And that, that line could mean uh, Paul has undergone a kind of suffering for the Lord, that he is a prisoner for this cause. Or it could also mean that Paul is identifies as a prisoner for the Lord, that the Lord has controlled, that the Lord has said, that the Lord uh, uh, has captured Paul in, in a certain way. And in whatever way you look at it, it implies a deep, profound kind of devotion. And that is Paul. Paul is a man of deep, profound devotion, devoted to the cause of Christ. And he says this, Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This kind of calling is not uh, the individual calling that we're familiar with, but a calling, it means the divine invitation of salvation. Live in a manner that is worthy of that divine invitation of salvation, worthy of the price that was paid for you. Let's read down further. Verse 2 says this, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Let's skip down to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful skimming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord and this is a vision that Paul paints out, that Paul charts out for what the church is to be. Now I'd like to draw your attention to verse 13. It says this, that we ought to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That word fullness in the Greek what we use in a Greco-Roman culture to refer to a ship's manifest, meaning uh, if a ship has a capacity for 100, uh, it is not full at 99, it's not full at 98, it is full at 100. That means that uh, it could mean to have all there is to be had, full capacity, no more room. You're completely full and filled up. And now that is Jesus' heart for our church, for your life, and for mine, it is for us to experience fullness. 
for us to have all there is to be had. All of the resources of what Jesus describes as heaven on earth, as the kingdom of God, full access into the reality of what Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven. That is what he desires for our church, for your life and mine, fullness. But notice Paul's writing in that we do not start or begin at fullness. It is something that we need to mature and attain over time. He says we grow to become mature and attain the whole measure of the fullness in Christ. And Paul's word picture is this, that is of a body. And in the same way, a physical body has to grow. Think of an infant growing up into adulthood. Every single church and every single follower of Jesus has to, in a very similar way, grow up into maturity, to grow up into fullness. And in the text that we read, we read and we can glean from Paul's vision of what a mature church ought to be. And it is one of strong interpersonal relationships that they were gentle and humble and they were patient. They bore each other in love. They were united. They had clarity and commitment to doctrine. They knew that they were one body, of one spirit. They were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and one Father. And they were able to resist false teachers and doctrines that were not of God. They were also working towards growth and maturity. They took their spiritual growth with utmost seriousness. They spoke the truth in love. They weren't afraid to uh, have the hard conversations. They weren't pandering or bowing down to what we understand to be PC culture today. They held their stand for truth. And it says this in the text that everyone played their part. That the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers equipped everyone, the people for the work of ministry. And that is what it means to be a mature church. That the church isn't leveraged on the gifts of two or three people, but every single person, every single member of the church being equipped, empowered and deployed for the work of ministry. Many ways our church over the last two years have fought and sought for maturity, to mature in God's way, to mature as a church. We move from being emotionally unhealthy to, emphasize, to having an emphasis on being emotionally healthy. We move from unintentional spiritual formation to intentional transformation by practicing the spiritual practices. We move from discipleship as a program that you attend to discipleship as a reorientation of life itself. We move from being uninformed and apathetic into doing the works of justice together. And these are major shifts in the life of church over the last couple of years. And so even as I consider the times that we're living in, even as I consider the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, even as I consider all that the Lord has been speaking to us as a pastoral team, as a leadership to different members of our church, I can foresee three shifts coming to our church that will define the trajectory of our church for the next leg of our life together. First shift is this, that we will move from being Sunday-centric to community-centric. We've always said this, that church is not a building, it is not an event or program, it is a people. And for far too long, we have leveraged a whole lot on our Sunday service and we have approached it as though that is the church. But church is 
a people. It is us living together as an embodied community, submitted to spiritual authority and leadership, and living into the way of Jesus, practicing the way of His kingdom in our world today. That is what it means to be the church. I can foresee us as a community moving away from viewing church just as a service we attend, but church being a kind of identity that we capture, living into God's way, establishing and advancing His kingdom in every regard and aspect. The next shift is this, that we are, as a church, we're going to move from being extractional into missional. Now, the word extractional is interesting. I don't think it exists in the English language. But extractional, uh, by that I mean that we are not after extracting people from their context, from uh, the world and forming a little kind of Christian subculture and bubble where we don't view our faith, our Christianity as something to be kept under wraps, but we are to be a missional people. We are to capture what it means to be a people possessed by the Great Commission, empowered by the Spirit, going to all spheres of influence that we have access to, to bring forth God's Word, His truth and His kingdom. That we aren't supposed to be a little bubble kept within hide hidden under a bushel, but we are to be the light of the world. We are to move from being extractional into missional. The last shift I can see us coming to is this, that we are to move from spectating to everyone being equipped for the work of ministry. Church isn't supposed to be a place where few have their gifts on display, while many benefit. It is to be a place where many are equipped, empowered, and deployed to bring the reality of God to our world. And what if we see, saw the church literally go beyond the four walls? What if we saw every life group, every home as outposts of the church, God's kingdom? What if every person was a minister, every home a church? What would our world look like? Ellen Hirsch, uh, a, a thought leader and founder of a mission training network, says this, if you want to learn how to play chess, you should start by removing your queen. Once you have mastered the game without the most powerful piece, then put the queen back in and see how good you are. For the church, the Sunday service is our queen. We have been relying on it too much. Now that the queen has been taken off the board, it is time to rediscover what all the other pieces can do. I put it to you that you are the other piece, that your home is the other piece. It's time for us to discover what our lives, what our homes, what our spheres of influence can do for the kingdom of God. Again, this is not saying that Sunday gathering is no longer valid or vital. And we'll share more in the coming weeks of why we ought to still maintain this rhythm of gathering and what God does in our midst. But perhaps, and perhaps we've given uh, the church, our church, our Sunday gatherings, a kind of form or function that wasn't even biblical to begin with. And what if we have sought to benefit from the church, to pull from the church things that we aren't supposed to in the first place? Francis Chan in his book, Letters to a Church, writes about how he often asks church leaders what their congregants expect. And typical replies include a really good service, strong age-specific ministries, a certain style, volume, length of singing, a well-communicated sermon, parking, and of course, coffee. Now, China asked the same leaders to list biblical commands regarding what church should be. And the responses look very different. It looked like, love one another as I have loved you. Look after widows and orphans in their distress. Make disciples of all nations. He then continues, and says, I then asked them what would upset their people more if the church didn't provide the things from the first list or if the church didn't obey the commands in the second list. Perhaps what God is doing in His sovereignty and mercy is causing us to carefully consider in light of Scripture what the church is to be and what success is to be where it is concerned. Perhaps we have gone astray. 
or have a long ways to go to mature into the church that Jesus has in mind. May we in this time of prolonged separation capture Jesus' heart for our church, for the church, and lean into this vision to hear what the Spirit is saying in this time. Now we started this year with a theme, and that theme is this, to receive the Holy Spirit. Now my vision of it at the start of the year was people falling down in this hall, prophecy going, signs and wonders, healing happening in our gatherings. And in many ways, you know, that is pretty myopic. I thought that the Spirit will only move and do its work in our meetings, in our gatherings, and that has been taken away from us. And I still believe with all my heart that that is the theme of the year, that God wants to do something profound in our community, that the Spirit is going to visit us in a powerful way that we are to receive Him with open arms. Now, I made fun of churches theming that year Vision 2020. Now, I thought it was really cheesy. But I've been led to consider that what if that is indeed the theme? What if that is indeed what God is saying? That perhaps this year, 2020, Vision 2020, is the year that we truly see clearly. That we won't limit the work of the Spirit to the confines of the church. It wasn't meant to be limited in the first place. The Spirit wants to break out and move in our communities, in the world, around us. In the face of despair, in the face of hopelessness, in the face of prolonged fatigue, the Spirit wants to rejuvenate and bring renewal to our world. And He wants to use a vessel. And that vessel is you and me. That vessel is the church deployed, the church moving out of the four walls, the church sent out into the world, the church as ecclesia, the sent out ones to bring forth God's reality, His kingdom to a world that so desperately needs it. What if God wants us to learn how to receive from Him, how to lean in the Spirit and be deployed, equipped and empowered to bring forth His reality, His purposes, His truth to our world. May His kingdom come, His will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I'd like to say this to us, that our method may have changed, but our mission hasn't. Our mission is that, for His kingdom to come, for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The method may have been changed. It's not the way we usually do things, but the mission still stands. Let's bring God's reality, His kingdom to our world together. And so I'd like to close off this time by inviting you to join me in a time of prayer. I've listed down all these pastoral concerns and responses to the statistics. And as I said, in the next couple of weeks, I will be teaching and expounding on what it means to be the church, the purpose of the church, the theology of the church uh, for uh, this time. But I'd like to invite you in this moment to join me together as we seek God for His grace, for His mercy, but also for His will and His intent. You know, I've been reading the book of Revelations of late and uh, there's this common refrain that comes up after uh, John, no, Jesus through John uh, writes uh, to the church. And after each lengthy rebuke, it, it writes this in the text that let him who has ears, let those who have ears hear what the Spirit is saying. And my heart and my desire is for us as a church to hear what the Spirit is saying. Far be it from us to be so caught up with the affairs of the world, with what we deem to be good, and miss out on what the Spirit is saying. And so I want to invite you right now to join me as we seek God for discernment, for leadership, for direction, but also for His grace and mercy to be upon our community, even as we unravel further 
the vision for a mature church, a church that Jesus wants. More than what we want, more than what we think is reasonable and right, we want to be the church that Jesus wants. So join me in this time of prayer together. I invite you wherever you're at to bow your heads, to lift your hands. If you want to get on your knees, feel free to do so. If you want to stand, prostrate, please do so. And in, in a posture of humility, let us come before God together as a community. Though we may be physically apart and distanced from one another, we are united through His Spirit, through His presence. And so wherever you're at, all across, across Singapore, let's press into God together. Let's cry out for our church and ask God to meet us in a powerful way. Ask God to speak to us, to our leaders, to our pastors, members of community. God, speak to us, we pray. We want to hear what your Spirit is saying. We want to hear and obey your words. We want to hear and obey and follow your will, O God. Let's spend a few moments doing so and crying out on behalf of our church for God to meet us and speak to us. Jesus, we ask you to speak to us. Jesus, we ask you to speak to us. We don't want to be caught up in our own ways, in our own desires. But God, we want to do your will. We want to hear from your spirit and obey your will. Far from our own plans and ideas and innovations, God, we want to lean into what you're saying. God, come and take your rightful place in our church. Lead us. Guide us. Be our Lord, we pray. Thank you, Father. God, as a spiritual leader of this church, as the pastor, has been placed as a steward of this community, I ask that you will come and take your rightful place in our church. We acknowledge you as our head. We acknowledge you as our Lord. And we repent of ways where we have been arrogant and prideful, where we have thought we could figure things out on our own, where we have thought we could self-engineer transformation, self-engineer renewal. God, we repent of that kind of thinking. Lord, we repent where we have allowed for sin, indulgences, and compromise into our committee. God, we repent, and Lord, we desire to be holy. We desire to follow your will, to follow your ways. And God, we ask in this day, even as we are helpless, even as we know not what the future holds, God, we pray, quicken our ears to hear from your Spirit. Speak to us this day, we pray. And Lord, we pray that we would be faithful to hear and to obey your words. Speak to us, Lord. God, we thank you for your words. And we thank you for what we've just read in Scripture. God, may we be faithful to obey all that we've read and all that we've heard. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Let's go back to worship together. <laughs>